want to welcome you to Sunnyside this morning. We got a lot going on. As you can see, we got the construction going and of course ongoing thank yous for that. And of course, Ron is the sort of the general contractor, if you will, of that project here first, last to leave, doing uh, leading that project. Really thankful to him. But of course, as everyone knows, no one can do it alone, and there's many people I'm sure he would love to thank. There's been a lot of people that have come in this week to come out and help. Um, I, won't, I can't name them all, but I'm going to give a special thank you specifically to Frank. We have needed someone that could do the uh, drywalling, and while some of us pretend to be able to do it and, and try, um, his finishing work has just been fantastic, and he spent a lot of hours, like many of them have, but that was really a skill that we needed, and I, we appreciate him being able to come and do that for us. Well, as you guys know, we have a special day today, Not lots of things going on with the remodel, but even more special than that, we have a baptism coming up later, and so we are excited to be able to see Alexis be baptized. Before we get that, we're going to look at a passage of the Word of God, and as you guys know, I kind of pride myself on tackling all the issues, right? I, don't, I, don't, I try not to skip. I, I hit them no matter what, whether I feel like I'm confident in what I'm talking about or not. I do my best to not skip anything. I think the whole counsel of God matters and even the difficult part. I don't know if today is particularly crazy or controversial, but uh, we are going to tackle it this morning. So let's pray and ask for guidance as we do that. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much as we come into your word this morning. Give us guidance. Give us wisdom. Lord, we love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the people that have been around all the time, you once again know I love basketball, right? And I, I want to imagine this. Imagine this. We're having an argument. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? And I mean, the answer that's clear. I mean, it's not even an argument. LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. LeBron, LeBron, you know why LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time? He's only one year younger than me. And uh, I've been watching him ever since high school. So that's why he's the best. But we might ask someone else. Let's say we get in an argument. Maybe, maybe uh Maybe Alan gets in the argument and he says, well, Joel, you don't know what you're talking about, right? You weren't there. You weren't there when Bill Russell was willing, winning all the championships with the Celtics. You have no idea what that was like. And then maybe someone just a few years older than me might say, Joel, 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 I mean, I was, I'm just young enough to kind of remember Bill, but the, the guy, you know, don't you remember Got to be Michael Jordan, right? It's got to be. It's got to be. And then there's going to be someone even younger than me, and you know who they're going to say? I don't know either, but it's not going to be any of those. <laughs> it's not going to be any of those. And it's so funny, you know, so often these things in our life that we know don't matter, right? And it just does not matter who is better. We, know, we all know it. We don't care. We talk about it for fun. But isn't it amazing when you get in these debates that don't matter, and obviously for most of you, basketball wouldn't be anything that would probably draw any emotion in your life, but you've probably been in discussions in which you know it doesn't matter, but the emotion comes, right? It's like suddenly you're like arguing about this like you really care, and the emotion really comes. And so as we come, we're going to talk more about speaking in tongues this morning. I encourage you, you may have a myriad of emotions that come. Uh, don't let your emotions get the best of you, and we will take this with wisdom because we know what does it really matter? What does it really matter? We've talked about what's the whole point of him speaking in, about tongues in 1 Corinthians? What was the problem in Corinth? They weren't getting along. 
right? And it would be just a shame to turn a book of the Bible meant to have a church get along and get together and have it turn into something that would take a church or a group of people and end up tearing them apart. That would be kind of, seems to be a bit of the opposite of the point of why Paul ended up writing 1 Corinthians. Well, let's go ahead and go. We've got a number of verses and I may be going to tackle them all. I got kind of the whole chapter penciled down, which is like 40 verses. We'll see if we make it through that or not. Okay, we're going to go to verse one. It says, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He's been talking about gifts. He's been with us. We know we've been talking about these gifts in the past, and I won't review too much, especially that you may prophesy. So in this particular chapter, he's really going to emphasize this idea of prophecy. Now, the trick with saying what's so important about prophecy or what do we need to do when we prophesy is actually knowing what he means by prophecy. So when I first read this or remember hearing or something like that, I was probably a kid, I don't know, the first thing I thought of when it said especially that you may prophesy, I thought, oh, we're all supposed to be telling the future. And that is exactly what I thought it meant. Usually we think of prophets as people telling the future, which of course is true. We do call those prophets and people that tell the future. And I go, oh, really? And as this chapter goes along and it talks about how important it is, and it's like, oh, really? Man, we should just... I didn't realize we were all just supposed to be telling the future all the time. And it was quite confusing to me. And the reason it was confusing to me is while prophecy does mean tell the future at times, it does not always have to mean tell the future. And likely what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about prophesying is not about telling the future. It's something else. It's something more along the lines of, for example, they had a particular temple and what they would do, they would go and they had these people called prophets and there was a pagan temple and they would come and when they would come, they would sometimes do things like just ask questions and the people would answer them. And it was not like telling the future. It was just answering a question or solving some kind of problem. And the people of Corinth, the, the secular world, would call that prophesying. Okay, So prophesying does not necessarily have to be telling the future. And actually, as we go through, what's going to be interesting is how he defines it. And it seems to even be something a little bit different than maybe even preaching is. But we'll see that as we go along. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So when we talk about speaking in tongues, part of the big debate over whether that's for today or whether it's not. We talked about one of those last week and whether the perfect has come. And part of the debate is whether speaking in tongues is always a real language or whether sometimes it's not a real language. Is it always a language that can be translated, meaning you're maybe in some sort of missionary witnessing situation and suddenly you're able to speak a language you formerly did not know? Is that what it is? Is that what it always is? It seems to be what it is in Acts. Or is there a different kind, a separate kind, that is something more like some kind of personal prayer language? So when we would debate this in college, and the college I went to was really strong against any kind of speaking in tongues, and you know, cessation is the big word, they would go through and they would show every time the word tongue was shown, and they would say, see, every time the word tongue is used, it's always a real language. The problem with arguing with that is I could go through and show you where the word trunk means the trunk of a car 20 times, but does it not mean that sometimes it couldn't refer to the trunk of an elephant? It does not matter how many examples of a trunk of a car I could give you, it doesn't mean it couldn't be something else, right? And no matter how many times you find in the Bible, you can stack upon one thing or another that the word tongue is used for a real language, which of course that word normally is used for a real language. It doesn't mean that it couldn't be something else. And so how do you normally decide whether it could be something else? 
The context is normally the kind of thing that would guide you, right? Is it the trunk of a car? Is it the trunk of an elephant? Is it the trunk of whatever, right? Are you setting a volleyball? Are you setting it down something? You have a chess set? You know, there's a million kinds of sets. I think set's the one that has the most uses. And it would seem here that the content text says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. In this particular context, I have a hard time seeing this as like a real language. It does seem like some kind of personal prayer language. The context seems to be arguing that. I would have a hard time going away from that. So I, the main argument I remember saying that that wasn't the case was, well, look at all the way times tongues was used as a real language. And I say, yes, it's used as a real language lots of times, maybe most of the time. It does not mean that this couldn't be a personal prayer language. We go on to verse three. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So even though tongues, he says, is this good thing? He says, prophecy also is maybe even better. It's helpful because it helps those around you because the people around you understand and it builds them up. It helps them, encourages them, and consoles them. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. I do not think that this means every person would have the gift of tongues necessarily. He says, you know, I, I might be able to say something like this. You know, I wish you all could bench 400 pounds. That'd be great. I really wish you all could. And how many of us can? I think that number's probably a good solid zero right now. So um, we can wish all we want, right? And so maybe there's people with tongues, but I would not argue here that everyone has to have the gift. And maybe someone would, but I, I don't see that, that that's required. But he's still, once again, he's emphasizing the importance of prophecy. And you know how this kind of thing goes. This happens in hiring people all the time. You hire someone. I haven't hired very many people, so I'm going off whatever people tell you. You hire somebody, right? And they don't do a great job. You know why they don't do a great job? They're not a great people person. Let's say. They just don't get along with people. They're a hard worker. They show up on time. So you, so you fire them, get rid of them. Maybe they leave, whatever. The next person you're going to hire is going to be a people person, because that was the big person's weakness. And so what do we sometimes do? We just fall off the other incredible edge. The person never shows up on time. They don't have a great history, but they're a great conversationalist, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, sometimes that happens, right? We Something negative happens, and then in order to sort of knee-jerk react to that, we often go off the other end. Uh, rules at institutions are really crazy like this. For example, at my school, we had a rule. You are not allowed to talk on the phone after 11 p.m. It was in the handbook. And they made you sign the handbook that you'd obey all these rules. Now, some students were like, signed it. Yeah, I'm not going to do half this stuff, right? But some of us were like really trying to do the right thing. And boy, they made it difficult. Let me tell you. Can't talk. I mean, like, first of all, you had to sign that you read it. And that itself was a chore. I mean, this thing was thick. It just kept getting thicker every year. And let me tell you the story on why you couldn't talk on the phone after 11. There was one student, one time, that had a girlfriend. 
believe it or not, women ruined it everything. He's talking to her all hours of the night. You know, they're two o'clock, whatever, you know. And there was like a death in the family. And so the mother or whatever was trying to get a hold of this guy and called and called and called, and the line was busy. And the mother was so mad that she couldn't get a hold of her son. They made a rule. No talking on the phone after 11. And by the time I was in college, guess what we all had? Cell phones with call waiting. So that rule made no sense, and it was for one single event where one person got mad. And so what do we do? We overreact the other way. And so when Paul is going against, I'm not saying he's overreacting. I'm saying he's emphasizing going against something that was a particular problem they were having. Maybe another church he would write and sort of talk about it in another way. But this particular church, they seem to be caring more about tongues than they were prophecy. And so he's correcting that. So he's heavily emphasizing it here. So he says, I... So he said in verse 5, I want all to speak, but even more prophecy. We go on to verse 6. Now, brothers, if I could come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He says, look, I could come. I could speak in tongues, but it wouldn't help you, right? I mean, don't you want me to give you some kind of information that you understand that would be able to help you? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Music's cool, right? You play a song, and all of us can instantly know what it is. You know, you just you, sometimes if you're good at it, you can play like three notes, and you'll know what the song is, right? But if you don't play those notes correctly, no one knows. And so he uses it as an example. We need to know what's going on. I went to a flute concert one time. First of all, I'm not particularly a flute fan anyway. I just had to go to a certain, yeah, I know, Debbie's getting, Debbie's angry at me. But I had to go. I was cultured. I had to go. My school required that we go to a certain number of concerts, and this one worked. You had to go to these concerts, this music appreciation class. And so I was going there to appreciate music. And this woman's specialty was dissonance, which if you know anything about music, dissonance basically to me means this sounds terrible. So she's going like, it's like, I'm like an hour. I have to write a report on this. Very talented. Knew how to play. Had a nice dress on. I was like, I say this thing is terrible, right? So, Dissonance kind of became popular, but it's probably never going to become too popular, right? Do any of us really enjoy dissonance? You know, the music and the notes don't get together. I don't think we do. Maybe it becomes a fad or whatever. There's certain times it can work in certain situations. But understanding is important. And Paul is stressing here the importance of understanding. As a matter of fact, for someone like me, you guys know one day I'm getting my PhD. I kind of like the whole nerdy stuff. This is a challenge for someone as a teacher like me too, right? What good is it if no one understands? So maybe I'm not up here speaking in tongues or when I'm teaching a lesson, I'm not doing that. But if no one can understand what I'm saying, I would be following into some kind of similar trap. And if the bugle gives a distinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? And we could talk more about that, but I think you understand. Verse 9, so with yourselves, if your tongue 
If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different tongues in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will speak. I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Some might argue this means that what they're referring to is a real language. I don't agree with that argument, and I won't go into the details. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager to ma- for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. So what is the point that Paul is trying to say here as he goes through? He's trying to emphasize the similar thing he's always saying. Tongues are good. You guys are just overemphasizing them. You care about them too much. And because of that, you're not having this important aspect of prophecy. We're not having this important aspect of prophecy. We think how this, how this has worked out in the church today. It's actually really, it's really comp- complicated. <laughs> Everything's complicated, right? So no one's spoken tongues at all in the church for like hundreds of years. I, I, I can't even remember. It's, it's a very long time. And then it started up again. And then one might argue, and this would be my argument, that when, when they started doing it again, there might have been a once again overemphasis on it again, right? So we, we have this tendency to say, no, we don't do it all. And then we go, and now we need to do it all the time, every person, everywhere, no matter what. So, for example, I knew a girl who went to a church that believed in speaking in tongues. And when she was a teenager, they, I, I cannot imagine this is normal practice. I have no idea. So I'm, I, this is one story of one person. Maybe it's only one church in the world that does this. I have no idea. They took her, she's 13 or whatever years old, they take her in a room and they say, you need to speak in tongues, right? And I don't think it was quite this harsh, but it was like, and you don't get to leave this room until you speak in tongues. Like, this is, this is the time you do it. And so she got some gibberish going on and got, got out of there, right? Got some gibberish going on and got out of there. And so, uh, like I said, this might have been one place, so I'm not saying this is a normal thing, but... Sometimes when we real, see a problem or something we think is missing and we go the other way, sometimes we can, we can fall off a thing. And then, of course, there's lots of abuses. So if you want to be really negative towards speaking in tongues, you've got millions of stories that you can come of abuses. In the same way, if you'd like to be negative towards pastors, there's plenty of stories out there where we pastors have done something that we shouldn't have, and you can just probably you know, nail story after story after story if you would like to try to discredit us in the same way. But the fact that we've maybe swung one way or swung another way, so on and so forth, what I would like to encourage us as we continue to try to seek God's will and try to figure out what we want to do with our lives, that we always keep in mind what Paul wanted when he was telling us about what we should do in speaking in tongues. We are supposed to be what? We are supposed to ultimately be building one another up, building one another up. We want to use every gift that God has given us, whether it's tongues, whether it's prophecy, whether it's drywall. Whatever gift that God has given us, we want to use to be able to build one another up, that we can do great things together. You know, the the little four-year project we have going here is just a great example. We get together. We try to do things together. It's amazing what we can do, isn't it? We can do wonderful things for the Lord. And as long as we have the goal in mind, even though we may see one thing different or one thing another way, 
when we can come together with the ultimate prize of we are going to serve God, we are going to lift him up and make his name great, we can do wonderful things for him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning, and we just pray that you would be with us and just really thankful for this baptism, Lord, as we, as we sing this song, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, we just pray, Lord, that as we go out this door today, later, in a few minutes, that we will say, yes, I am going to go and fight for you. We are together as a unit, as a church, unified, going to reach the world. We are going to fight as hard as any army, tr- work and train as hard as any sports team. We are going to battle for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.